Welcome to Killer Women with your host, best-selling author, Danielle Girard. And now, Danielle's next killer woman. Hello, and welcome to the Killer Women podcast, a proud member of the Authors on the Air global network with more than 4 million listeners. I'm your host, suspense author Danielle Girard, and my guest today is Irish Yamashita. Iris is an there's my Iris is an Academy Award nominated screenwriter for the movie Letters from Iwo Jima. She has been working in Hollywood for 15 years, developing material for both film and streaming, has taught screenwriting at UCLA, and is an advocate of women and diversity in the entertainment industry. She has also been a judge and mentor for various film and writing programs, and she lives in California. Welcome, Iris. Thank you, Danielle. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on your show. Oh, it's so exciting. So we, Iris and I were talking um, before we started about the, the correct pronunciation of her last name, which we got. And then, of course, I messed up Academy Award because that was, you know, it had to be something. <laughs> I always, there's always some flub in me. So today we are talking about City Under One Roof, which is fabulous. And we're going to, there's so many things I love about this book. But first, can you tell our listeners a little about City Under One Roof? Sure, um, it's a murder mystery. Uh, and of course, so it involves a detective, a female detective trying to solve a gruesome murder, which takes place in this strange isolated town where everyone lives in one building. And the only way in is through a tunnel. And of course, after an avalanche, she gets trapped there. And everyone in this town and the detective herself, they all have something to hide. Oh, it's so fun. So this little town, and you say in your acknowledgments that there's a Whittier, Alaska, or what do they pronounce that, Whittier, but um, that was sort of the inspiration for this, but it, but the people there were lovely, this, this point Metier, and it's pronounced like the French way would be Metier, but of course um, the residents pronounce it Metier, which is again, sort of adds to this sort of, the, you know, the ambiance of this group. Um, can you tell us about the inspiration for the story, where this idea, this fabulous, by the way, idea came from? Uh, yeah, thank you. Um, yes, Whittier, Alaska is a real town. Uh, and I had seen a documentary, sorry, documentary uh, over 20 years ago, uh, and it had just stayed in the back of my mind all this time. And uh, when I saw this documentary, the only way in was through that tunnel, which was not open to cars at the time. At the time, it was the only way in was train, the train that went through the tunnel or boat. And uh, it just really fascinated me, you know, like who would live there who would choose to live right. in this place that is so cut off and where you know your town is in one building and it just I just had it there in the back of my mind brewing for forever and I hadn't thought of a story yet and um I was actually trying to come up with an idea for a uh for a pilot for a series because um I had you know I came from the film world but I wanted to get into the streaming world because you know that's where where it's all at now, and I needed to have some kind of sample. So I just um, 
thought that's when I was thinking maybe a mystery you know that would be really cool because you could make a cool limited series I had seen some mysteries that I really loved and so I just um thought oh yeah and then oh that cool city oh yeah and you know it, it just kind of started to come together when I combined the idea of mystery in this strange city that I remembered yeah and, and this city that you've created um you know I have I, I sort of want to talk about it a minute because it's so it's so atmospheric, it's so cinematic. I, I imagine, of course, you're it's in the right hands to be made into um, a series because I think it would be amazing. And it's so you basically, you know, the, the the tunnel to clarify for people who haven't read it and you have to read it because it's so fun. The tunnel leads to the town. So if you're, you know, the, if the tunnel's cut off, you can't get into town. But once you're in the town, there's like a bit, you know, like an apartment building. And that is sort of on, you know, there's some, there's a, a guy who sells meat and some, you know, food supplies. There's a restaurant, there's a bar with some, you know, there's very few sort of, you know, options. There's, a, there's actually like a, there's a inn, there's a motel in the, you know, basically it's just some rooms that are furnished. Um, and then there's this, it was attached. It was originally an old army base, right? And that's sort of the idea is originally there was, you know, it was, it was this whole, you know, army world. And the reason they built it all sort of, you know, enclosed was the, that nobody could fly over and figure out what they were doing, which was so, so clever. But that's then of correct. course the, the, the army left um, because there was, was it an, an earthquake? earthquake? Yeah, an earthquake. Um, and so the army left, so they just left with this building. It's 205 people in the whole town living in one building. Um, anyway, I, I really find that, I found it so, and I'm not doing it justice, but I just feel like you have to, you know, this it this crazy idea of all these people. And there's they're quite, there's a quite a diversity, diversity of characters in the book, you know? Um, anyway, I, I thought that was so fun. And it's, it's really, it is, you know, in my mind made a very perfect, for my mind picture of it and so when we were going from you know one person's apartment to another and whatnot it was really vivid for me which is so fun um and you know i noticed also that this point point metier is a safe haven that there's a there's an aspect of the town that really appeals to uh, especially for women right who, who are out trying to outrun you know bad relationships that there's the the gentleman at the there's sort of a list or or pictures because he sort of keeps an eye out for these um for these people so what you know what inspired that is which I thought was brilliant too uh thank you um yeah when you were talking about the history of the the town and um a lot of it you know is is actual it's just as you described that's the real city of Whittier Okay. Um, with all the, the tunnels and everything um there's a tunnel that connects the the um the residents with the school um and as you said because it was a military base uh there there had been all these tunnels connecting the underground you know with what there used to be another building as well but it got destroyed in in the earthquake and um the so there's so much about it that uh, I didn't I didn't have to make up. It was already so fascinating in itself, the city. Right. And just trying to uh, make use of what um, 
what was already there in its history and trying to, you know, it, it was just, it, it's such a cool place in reality. And of course, by making it fictional, you could yeah. make it even more, you know, add even more nuances to it. So um, yeah, it was, it was very, it was fun to write. It was fun to research. It was mm -hmm. fun to actually be there because I did visit the um, yeah. real city. Um, and and I created uh, Point Meteor, as they would call it, the locals would call it, uh, because I, you know, I didn't um, want anyone who lived there to think I was writing about them because it's right. such a small town. Right. And, uh, the, the characters are, of course, completely fictional. Right. And then it also allowed me, by making it a fake place, to change a little bit of the geography so that um, the mystery could actually right. work. Right. Right. And then, you know, and I'm what, so, you know, is that, is the safe haven aspect? Is that something that oh, was true? Yes. Sorry. I didn't answer that part of the question. No, that's yes. okay. The safe haven part was, um, that is also, there was something I read in while I was doing my research where, um, in that time when the only way in was by train, um, that I had read that there was some woman who lived in the real city who, um, had a, an abusive ex mm -hmm. and um, so the train conductor was on the lookout for her ex and wouldn't let him board the train uh, and so that idea of this yeah. like this could be a safe haven was um, kind of exciting too and then as I did more research about uh, Alaska itself um, I found out that yeah, more than half the women who lived there had uh, encountered some kind of sexual or domestic yeah. violence against them and um, how dangerous Alaska really is for women. Yes. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with there's there are quite a few remote towns mm -hmm. where there's not much policing force. And so that is um, probably the root of some of these Mm -hmm. you know, problems that they have with domestic violence yeah and it's it's proportionally a lot more men than women in Alaska um I think there's right I think there's a there's I don't remember what it is but you know most of the world or most of America is a little bit more women than men but I think in Alaska it's reverse and it's you know it's 60 percent men or something there's some there's a sort of um and I have that wrong I, I actually, I don't know the actual statistics on the ratio of yeah. men to women, uh, but I think you had also mentioned uh, something about diversity of the characters, yeah. which yeah. Um, that is kind of interesting too, because when I, when I visited the real town, uh, finding out how diverse it really is, uh, there are people from all over, you know, from Samoa, there, you know, Pacific Islanders. There are um, natives, um, and you know, so it's it's mm -hmm. it was kind of interesting um, to see how divorce, uh, sorry, how diverse, yeah, it actually is. So that was that was another cool aspect of the town that I thought. Yeah, it it is, and I love you know, I'm one of the main characters is this teenage girl Amy Chan who I. I so appreciate it. she's right in that stage where, you know, 
her mother is so annoying and everything her mother asks is, you know, so great. And, and it, you know, it's not a spoiler to say that, you know, the book opens when she finds a hand um, uh, on a beach, you know, it, um, and, um, and, you know, that's. A hand and, and a foot. <laughs> yeah, that's right. A hand and a foot. Um, and so she, you know, she ends up getting, you know, involved in the, in the, right away and then you know further involved um is did, did amy sort of come to you as part of the package as you were or you know i mean how so how did you sort of come up with that character because she's you know she's a big piece of it and she's so lovely um i i think i had just i was <laughs> i i think i did you know since i did want to make the story filled filled with diverse characters, like characters that we don't always see. Mm -hmm. um, and of course, being Asian American, I wanted to have some, you know, have an Asian American in there, which yeah. you know, the real town does have as well. Um, and I think I had, I just, when I saw a video of going through this tunnel which is one way it, it changes directions every half hour. So you can go in one way and then back the other way. So it's this narrow tunnel and it's two and a half miles long. So it seems like it's a long tunnel. And I felt like um, I was falling down a rabbit hole mm -hmm. and that I would end up in Wonderland and Wonderland would be full of, you know, diverse characters and wacky characters yeah. and strange things and um so that there was a jumping off point from that too of, of uh, thinking of Alice in Wonderland and um so um there are a lot of Alice in Wonderland references in the book yeah yeah um and in my mind um I mean it doesn't work out exactly but I think of Kara, the detective, as being uh, a bit like Alice, mm -hmm. you know, entering the strange wonderland world. And uh, for me, Amy is a bit like the white rabbit that she chases for. Interesting. Clues. Right, right, and right. I don't know why the white rabbit just somehow conjured also something a little more innocent, like, you know, a younger, innocent character right. for me. Right, And then with the third character is Lonnie, who has a mental disability and she wears a different colored beret every day, is sort of the Mad Hatter character. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So there That's were a lot really... of like yeah. Wonderland inspirations that kind of carried over into the characters. But I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I don't know which came first, whether I, you know, I, I yeah, that fair. that's in my head before um, I had it all organized. So, you know when you're you know this is the first time you've written a novel I assume um or this is the first time you've probably you're publishing a novel so how is that different because of course many novelists are interested in you know we're, we love the idea of, of you know things showing up on the screen of course so it's like you know but it, I always think of going from an, you know an, adapting a novel to a screenplay but not ever having written a screenplay you know how did this feel different yeah, I mean, I think my first love was writing novels because I, I was um, trying to write n novels before I entered um, the screenwriting world, uh, but I had never actually finished a novel. I, I don't think I was disciplined enough and I didn't have all the tools. 
And then I started taking screenwriting classes and it was much easier because there's, you know, only like a hundred pages of mostly white space. And so I could actually (laughs) finish the screenplay and, um, you know, and a pilot is even less, maybe 60 pages. So, so writing a screenplay is easier in essence because it is uh, less pages it's maybe about a hundred pages and with a lot of white space. Right. Um, but it is harder to get to actual production to fruition because there are a lot more people involved. It takes hundreds of people to come together um, to, and people to sign off on it. And then it takes a lot of money. It takes millions of dollars to actually execute. Uh, whereas a book um, is much more torturous in the process of writing and everything counts you know all the words count and all the grammar because people are actually that is the finished product um but it doesn't take quite as many people right (laughs) it's mainly you know it mainly revolves around the writer and the writer's work yeah and it doesn't take quite as much money either to get the finished product so no I would say you know that's those are the major differences um and of course um writing a script it's for a much more visual media whereas yeah. writing for a book it's there's a lot of internal um, you know your feelings and <laughs> what are their emotions yeah and things like that so yeah and was that hard when you you know was that one of the things you had to sort of like think about as you were writing like okay I have to remember that what my you know what's going on inside my character because you're used to sort of directing them yes um it it does take a lot of it does take a different mindset um but I interestingly even though um film is a very visual media uh, when I was writing screenplays, I didn't do much visual description mm-hmm. uh, because you don't want to get too detailed in the description of the characters because you don't know who's going to be cast yeah. in it. So you're right. not going to say, oh, they have a mole in there. You know, like, <laughs> right. you can't do that. And um, a lot of the uh, the shots are, you know, they're something that the director wants to put their Put in so you don't want to you know over you don't want to over direct so yeah. because that's not your job so you don't actually get into so much so much visual detail when you're writing a screenplay but um in a book you do have to do all the legwork so you do have to describe yeah. everything and um what's funny is when I when I wrote the book and I turned in a draft I had not described my main character at all, <laughs> not physically. Yeah, uh, I was used to writing screenplays, and I, I, you know, I didn't notice, and my editor did not notice, and then um, the book cover designer was thinking, you know, possibly the character could be on the cover, and asked, "Well, what does the character look like?" And then I realized oh my goodness, I never described her. And then I went back and I actually- Yeah, added her description. <laughs> and it's a tricky thing to do because it's not something like, we don't think about what we look like, right? I mean, you're, Kara, the detective in the story is Kara Kennedy and she's not going to be like, so I'm 
five, seven and, you know, but you, but, but people around the other people, you know, like obviously Amy um, or Leone would notice what, what Kara looks like, but it is funny. Yeah. It's a, it's when it's done, you know, when it's done well, it's, it's done really well. I don't tend to describe my characters very much, um, you know, other than like once in a while, you know, and somebody else will notice the, you know, her stance or, you know, her walk or her, you know, a piece of hair that falls or whatever. But I don't even know if I could tell you what color eyes um, some of my characters have. So I probably, uh, I would have to look at, I would have to literally search for, you know, eye color, but anyway, but it is interesting, right? It's totally different. You cannot tell, I mean, you really can't, you can't tell the, you know, a director anything about what somebody's going to look like because you really don't know who's going to play the, the, the role. So that is super interesting. Um, okay. So let's talk about Kara Kennedy since we've now, um, she didn't make the cover, but she's fabulous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and she, you know, I, one of the things I love about her, right. As I love women, you know, with women characters is that she has a real trauma in her past. Right. Um, she's, you know, she's, had a real loss and I sort of wonder like you know what is you know what about that makes these characters compelling for us that we that you know this is a character who sort of is broken in some ways and now is sort of putting her life back together um you know what drew you to that and and why do we I wonder in general why we love broken characters I think because you you know perfect characters are boring um and you want to have your character go somewhere so they have to, you know they need to have an arc so they start somewhere and they have to to go through a journey and end up yeah. somewhere else and um you know that's something we learn in screenwriting you know your characters need to have an arc and so um yeah it was a it was she was the most difficult, I would say, because, um, you know, with the other characters, um, they are the quirky people who live in this quirky town. So in a way, it was a little bit easier, whereas right. your protagonist, it's, it's always hard because they have to be people that you can identify with and, you know, have to be a little bit more normal so you can kind of look at things from their eyes. Um, but then, right, at the same time, they can't be perfect and you have to come up with um, what their backstories are and where they're going to go. And um, yeah, it was it was quite, um, it, it, it took a lot of evol evolution in my mind of who mm -hmm. she was and where was she going and what was her backstory. So yeah, it was it was kind of difficult, but you know, there are certain things that people can identify with which is you know loss and yeah um, if, if you're you know a mother and you know you have obviously something that would really drive you because that's the other thing is what drives people what right. are their motivations and you know family and love they're always huge you know so. yeah right yeah, because it can't just be the job, right? It can, it doesn't it's not satisfying enough if we're just talking about oh well yeah she's doing her job um I mean, that's, you know, that's part of it, but it can't be, it can't be the whole reason. And and the best, you know, mystery stories are really very personal for these people. And, um, and, you know, you have to read the book to find out, but I think um, 
that. So, so you have been in, you know, you said you've been in Hollywood 15 years, you've been doing, you know, screenplay, screenplay. So, you know, what, what at what moment were you like, well, I think I'm going to go and try and write a novel again, you know, um, what, what was it like, what was the inspiration? Um, I think there were, there were a number of things. Um, so one is that, yes, I've been in the business for a while and it's always disappointing to not see your work make it all the way to the end um and I you know I I made a good living writing scripts that never got seen right <laughs> other than right. like the agents and the producers right. um it you know it, it's always disappointing yeah um and I wanted to see my work, you know, I just wanted right. to have, be able to show somebody, oh, Casey, I wasn't just, right, you know, this is, this is mine, yeah. <laughs> lazing around, here's the fruition of my work, right. um, so, you know, more, so it's more than just pay, because I was getting paid to write various scripts, um, and so that was a huge motivation was just getting tired of like, you know, uh, the directors jump on board, actors have jumped on board, producers have jumped on board, but that last wall, which is the buyers, you know, the streamers, the studios, it was that last wall that I had mm -hmm. such a big hurdle jumping over. So um, that was a big motivation and then the other motivation is, um, as I mentioned, I was thinking of this originally uh, for television or streaming. And I did have, you know, everybody telling me, oh, I love this pilot. This pilot is so fantastic. Let's try and take it out. Let's try to sell it. And so, um, you know, I did have a great director attached and I had an actress attached and producers attached and we went out and took it on, on the road and, you know, did the whole dog and pony show <laughs> everywhere. It sounds and, exhausting. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, but, you know, it, there was no IP behind it. There's, um, you know, I, I don't think I had a big enough actress attached. And so, yeah, it was I don't know a, what an IP is. Oh, sorry. IP is intellectual property, which is, you know, a book or. I see. You know, I see. Okay. All right. Thank you. I'm like, I don't, you're talking, now you're talking in language. That makes sense. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, you know, they, they don't like to take chances. You know, they want something that already exists uh, in some form or other right, so that right. they have more of a built-in fan base. And um, so, but I had done all the work. I felt like I felt like I had the pilot written that everybody kind of uh, you know, said they they all loved it. Everybody loved it. Um, and then I had worked out a season to pitch to everyone. Mm -hmm. And then I had also ideas for a second season because mm -hmm. you, know, said you, you know, what if they ask for a second season, you know, what mm -hmm. are you going to do? So, you know, I had all of this already outlined and I had all the characters and I had really spent a lot of time developing these characters. So I thought, you know, I think I have enough to write a novel and that was, um, you know, originally my first love was uh, yeah. writing, you know, trying to, trying to write a novel. And so I had more of the tools to having um, gone through screenwriting on constructing a story and being more disciplined and actual, actually getting to the end. 
Yeah. And so that's where that came. Well, and, and, and I wonder about the timing, was it, you know, cause I know Hollywood sort of came to a sort of screeching halt um, like the, like much of the world. So was, was the, you know, did the pandemic also weigh into it where you're like, I better go do something. Oh yes, definitely. Yeah. Um, right. I started writing it. I actually started writing a novel before the pandemic hit, but then once the pandemic hit, yes, it gave me a lot more time to focus on that because I didn't have to go out. I was trapped in my house. Right. Right. Uh, <laughs> didn't have to go across town for meetings all the time, um, which I'm so grateful for. I mean, the one maybe bright side of the pandemic is it made everyone realize that, um, you know, we could do a lot of meetings via zoom yeah especially these um they call them in the business general meetings where all you do is you meet and you know you say hi to a producer or somebody and it doesn't lead to a job and you know from the get-go it's not going to lead to a job to right. a, i mean a immediate job um but um they call you know they call them meet and greets and those oh gosh driving across town and then waiting in the lobby for an hour and then driving back and you know for I don't know <laughs> yeah so that's, not having just, to do those work was so it crazy. sounds yeah it sounds like it it's so, I mean it's a whole different it feels like a different planet for people who aren't you know in it and haven't ever been in it um but it's it is really interesting also I, I imagine and maybe this isn't true because when you talk about scream um your scripts it sounds like you're doing them on your own but I always think of Hollywood writing and here I'm probably going to display my ignorance um I always think of it as being more collaborative um but were you you know was that true when you're doing a script is it more like working with a team well when you work on a for film it's you know you you pretty much write it on your own but um yeah sure a lot of people are going to have input so you your producers are going to have notes there's can always be there's always going to be endless notes you know you're going to have your producer's notes and then um another producer I mean I don't know depending on how many production companies are involved and then all of them will have their notes and then you know then the director will have their notes and then sometimes if they're big actors actors will have notes and so everyone has notes and everybody sees the movie in a different way and right. you know and a lot of times you don't even start from something original because most of the times like I say um they want uh IP the intellectual property so it starts with someone else's book or someone else's uh -huh. um previously made movie or you know so a lot of times it's not your original idea anyway there's only certain writers who get to do their own original yeah. material and then when you're talking about streamers that's even it's even more collaborative because um like television shows there's usually a room full of writers I mean mm. it could be not many it could be like a few or it could be a ton depending on you know like if it's a lot of times comedies um are there's a lot of writers, you know, like a room full of 20 or even more writers. If it's wow. sometimes with, with comedies, um, dramas, there's probably fewer writers, but, uh, yeah, it's a lot more collaborative in that world. Yeah. Yeah. And actually, you know, it's funny because after the pandemic, I, I, I feel like this is sort of one of the things that came out of the pandemic for me, this opportunity to talk to other writers, because, 
you know, I, you always write alone or I've always written alone, but all of a sudden I was like, I'm spending a lot of time alone. And um, it's really nice to sort of hear how other people's processes are and, and, and things like that. But I always think a writer's room, I didn't have no idea. Of course, the only writer's room I've ever seen was on 30 Rock. <laughs> so that's what a writer's room looks like to me. Um, but it is interesting to imagine a, a writer's room with 20 people. That's a lot of people. But I guess because comedy's hard, right? You have to be, it takes a lot to be really funny all the time. Yeah, no. I, I couldn't do it. I don't I I'm not a comedy writer, but I've heard um comedies writer comedy writers talk about um the room and sometimes you know they break them up. I I, I mean I think every show is different. Right. But one show where where they broke them up into three separate rooms and they worked on different things, but there were yeah, there were like 20 writers. Um and it I've never been in that situation, but it mm -hmm. sounded kind of vicious. Like you had to, you know, establish yourself and like, oh, use my idea. You know, like everybody's yeah. jockey for use my idea and like that. Yeah, that's not the kind of collaboration I was I was hoping for. <laughs> that does not sound fun at all. Um, yeah, so I don't think I could do that. Yeah. So as you were writing this book, did you sort of find like, were you? Were you sort of thinking, I have a, I'm going to write this like I'd write a script and I'm giving myself a deadline. I, I'm going to write a certain number of words a day. How did you do it sort of differently than the way you've been doing your job? Um, or did you? So uh, for the first book, I don't think I was as disciplined because um, I didn't know. I mean, it was just doing it for myself, <laughs> basically on the side, because I was still doing um, yeah work for Hollywood. Um, and I think, okay, when I first approached my agent, I had only done maybe like five or six chapters. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, I just, you know, sent her the sample Yeah. and, um, and she said, oh, that's great. Where's the rest of the book? And I said, I haven't finished it. And she said, oh, dear, you know, you've got to, you have, you can't be approaching agents before you've been, you, you know, you haven't uh -huh. even finished your, your manuscript. So come back to me when it's done. And I, and so I thought, oh, okay. Um, so I put it aside for a while. And then, but then she, she really like kept prodding me because she liked the premise and she, you know, liked the, the few chapters that I had turned in and she would check on me all the time it's like so how's it going have you finished how's it going have you finished and like, no mm -hmm. I, don't, I haven't I haven't finished it um and then when the pandemic hit um she's like this these are crazy times you know let's let's see what do you have so far and maybe we can you know just kind of test the waters and send it to a publisher and see what she thinks and so I sent her what I, whatever I had, and then the, um, they responded, you know, the publisher said, let's make a deal. And, um, I was that, that was a really good motivation to get it done. Yeah. And then you're like, oh God, I just told, I now I really have to finish it. And, um, I mean, my agent is brilliant too, because she, um, she was able to get, um, a two book deal out of the unfinished manuscript. That, <laughs> yeah, so I had to be disciplined. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, I mean, yeah, and that is, I mean, that's rare, of course, you know how rare that is, but obviously your background 
with, you know, in writing. I mean, you're not, you're not like a, you're not coming off of a, you know, finance career or something. And now saying, oh, now I'm gonna be a writer and here's six chapters. But, um, but yeah, I can imagine. So you, I, you said for the first book and I, I, you know, I wanted, obviously the end of this book um, sets up beautifully for um, another book. So I wanted to ask about that. I'm, I'm hoping there's going to be, I'm assuming now, there's going to be a second book in the series. Yes, there's going to be a second book. And um, I was a lot more disciplined with that one, obviously, because there was a deadline. And um, the way I kind of set that up, how I set that up was um, I kind of thought, okay, I need to do at least three drafts because um, that's how I am. Um, and I um, just kind of set aside, okay, so if I break that down, how much time do I have for per each? draft? Yeah. And, and um, then I set up just like a, you know, the reminders app and uh, just said, how many, you know, chapters do I have to do each week? Um, you know, and of course it's going to differ based on uh, how long a chapter is for, for different writers, but I know for myself, like how, yeah. how long it's going to be about. And, um, and my first draft is just, uh, the, this is what I do in screenwriting too, is I just write almost a train of thought kind of draft where you're not editing yourself and you're just writing whatever inspiration comes to you and nothing's going to be perfect and a lot of it is going to be thrown out that's why you know I'm not precious on it I I know like a lot of this is going to be thrown out so just write whatever and then come back because you know you're going to come back and it's all going to be different or it you know you don't know where it's going to go and then right. once you do the complete vomit draft as I call it I call it that too I think that's so oh, funny my everyone in my family is like well what part of the vomit do you actually keep and I'm like it's just what I think of when I'm like you just pick out the little chunks that are good they they don't love that analogy but I I do say it I totally do so I agree with you let it out yeah yeah and then you go back and then you you make it more like English and it's a little more now you know where it's going and then you know what things have to change so you're going you're a little more careful in what you're writing and then you know you have to go back and refine for the third draft so that it it sounds pretty <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah you know you're going to do at least three drafts yeah and that makes and I'm I'm doing for the first time ever I'm writing at that sort of in a, a more torrential speed I've you know I've never done that that way normally I'm more and I'm not a I'm not a plotter so it feels a little scary to be writing so fast when I don't exactly know where I'm going do you are you a plotter do you know kind of the, the okay so you before you start your draft well I I always want to start with something because Otherwise, I'm I'm afraid of getting writer's block where you're like, oh, I can't go any further and then you're mm. stuck there. Mm -hmm. I, I don't want that. So um, I always go and I do like some kind of outline all the way to the end so that if I get stuck somewhere, I can skip a section and mm -hmm. just go to the next thing, you know, because I don't, that's where you, you don't want to be is where oh my god I have a blank page and I right. can't do anything and I'm frozen and that's it you know you you want to like okay skip that section if you're stuck and then mm -hmm. be able to leapfrog to whatever other things that you have in your outline but um yeah it always changes you I outline but 
Um, may change. So, okay. So you're not like, you're not rigid on your outline. You're like, I thought that was going to do this, but now it makes more sense to me that this happens. Yes. So yes. things change as you go. Um, yeah. yeah it, it, it's always changing. So um, for, uh, for the first book, I, I had to do a chapter outline mm. for, because, you know, I only, I hadn't finished it. So I had to mm -hmm. do, um, I had to write the chapters, um, what was going to happen in all of them and submit that and um and it, the chapter outline kept changing you know yeah. day by day and so when I did turn it on I'm just you know just a warning none of this uh, it's all going to change <laughs> yes I know and that's sort of the way it works right I think that's the best laid plans I was uh, I spoke to uh, Mary Kubica recently um about her upcoming book and she had an interesting thing about um writer's block she said she leaves herself in the middle of a scene that she really wants to write like she almost stops herself from writing it because then when she gets there the next time she's like oh i'm so excited i know exactly what's going to happen which i thought was really interesting you know i'm always like well let's get to the end of this and then we'll we can go to bed you know feeling like we know where everything is but there's something to that so i thought that was an interesting tidbit and when so when you're writing are you you know you're like i have a i have to do this many chapters this week um how does that work I mean are you just like you just sit in your chair until you get through them or you know yes if I can't you know we we're creatures who need sort of like instant gratification in a way so if you say I've got to write this novel by blah and then that's your only goal that's um I think that's harder for me I think if I say okay I just have to get through um half a chapter today mm -hmm. and then and it doesn't have to be perfect right it's, you know it's a lot less pressure so yeah. then it kind of you know it just it seems to work out that way and then you can check it off you know like I like to check things off and say oh me too what is it about making sometimes I write down things I've already done just so I can check them off I love yes. that <laughs> I'm like walk the dog did it yeah, yeah, it's, um, it's there it's, is something about that. Yeah, there is something like, you know, where you need some kind of gratification, like I checked it. So now I can go play a game or something. I don't know. <laughs> right, right. I was productive today. I was productive today. That is really interesting. Well, that's super exciting. Can you tell us anything about um, book two? Are you still, you're still in the middle of it. I don't want to, I understand if you can say, nope, I can't share a thing. Well, in in book two, um, we will go back to the same um, location plus mm -hmm. um, new location. So <laughs> I love it. Okay. That's totally fair. I love it. And I have a feeling I might know where the other location is um, because, you know, I read this one. So I, but we won't talk about it, but um, it is so fun. So you wrote this I'm understanding you wrote this as a pilot first. So there is, so now are you, now you get to shop the, the book. How's um, that going? Yeah. So I do have uh, an agent who is working on, you know, the getting the, the book right to see if, you know, if, if someone is interested in optioning um, the book rights and, um, you know, I've talked to a couple places um, and uh, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's nothing. Right. It, it, 
it hasn't been sold yet, um, but definitely, uh, you know, we're getting our feelers out. And yeah, well, I, as I said, it's so, I mean, it's just the environment, um, you know, we are also, I think, of, um, you know, humans also sort of obsessed with, there's something about those really extreme, like there's parts of this book where they are out and I mean, they have to go outside and it is so cold uh, and the wind and you just feel like you can, you can, re you're reading it and you're feeling that like the frigidness of, uh, of the environment. I think there's something really appealing to us about those sort of you get, you know, it's surviving such extreme cold. And, and then on top of it, this sort of weird little town inside a building. Um, I can't imagine it's not, um, that somebody won't snap it up. And obviously I don't know anything about the industry, but I feel like I want to watch it. So, um, I hope they, they figure it out. Um, but do you know, how, do you have a, do you have a date? Do you know when the next book will be out? Well, um, so City Under One Roof, the release date is January 10, yeah. 2023. And then um, my next book, hopefully, <laughs> will be 2024. Yeah, exactly. Hopefully. Right? Uh, yeah, One year. Well, <laughs> knock on wood. <laughs> Not well. It's really exciting. It's so fun. So um, tell us, um, Iris, where can we find you uh, on social media? Um, do you have a website? And, um, you know, it's January 10th. So I think when, when our podcast comes out, this book is 100% available. You should really get it anywhere you love to buy books. Um, support your local indie or, you know, buy online, whatever works. City under one roof. But tell us where to find you um, if people want to tell you how much they love it. When people want to tell you. <laughs> so it's my name, irisyamashta.com is my website. Um, I have an Instagram uh, page. I don't remember right off the top of my head, but if you look up my name, you'll find me. Um, and uh, Facebook, I have Iris Yamashta author page. Um, I, I had Twitter, but... Uh, Kind of left it and uh-huh yeah we can yeah, exactly i i don't blame you i'm going to spell the last name for for folks who are listening it's y-a-m-a-s-h-i-t-a -A -A, in case the um that doesn't translate as well in the pronunciation um which oh, is yes yes thank you for that yes so which my is, uh, website where you can also see all my uh social media links is I-R-I-S-Y-A-M-A-S-H-I-T-A dot perfect. perfect. And people will find you. And I, I love this. I, I'm already like jonesing for the second book because I feel like once I'm in this small town with these um, characters and we didn't even talk about like, um, you know, the lounge singer. There's just a, there's just a cast <laughs> of these really fabulous um, characters. And I, I look forward to seeing them again. And it was, Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Oh, this was such so much fun and it was such a pleasure to meet you. So fun. For everybody listening, this is um this has been Killer Rune today with our guest Iris Yamashta. What a fun book. What a great premise. What an incredible environment and so much fun to read. Everybody should go grab that. And we will see you next time on Killer Women. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much.